Um, there, so we're going to continue our series on the heart of Christ, and I just want to thank Adam for his sermon from last week. I was able to listen to it, and it was, it was fantastic. The content was rich, and it was very helpful, and so I was just grateful for, for his, his words and his wisdom and bringing that word. Um, this morning, we're going to be looking at the heart of Christ as a friend. And ultimately, of course, we're going to get to, I have a little visual here because I think visual aids are helpful. Um, nothing terribly fancy, we're going to get to it here, but um, I think they're helpful. And hopefully, if, if you leave with nothing else, you'll at least kind of be able to visualize this, this visual aid uh, for, for the week ahead. Um, there's been fascinating research done on the neuroscience of how words um, affect frontal lobe activity. And the, the Business Relationship Management Institute reported that negative words that I won't say, um, not because they're bane or, or obscene or cuss words, but because research, research actually shows that when heard, they, they release, like certain words release stress or anxiety-inducing hormones. Um, one example of this type of negative word would be a word associated with like a medical diagnosis, even if you're not the one affected by or being diagnosed. You just hear that word and it, it, it releases stress-inducing hormones. On the contrary, um, in their joint, jointly written book, um, Words Can Change Your Brain, uh, uh, Dr. Andrew Newberg and Dan Scalisi uh, who are neuroscientists at Thomas Jefferson University, states a single word also has the power to regulate physical and emotional stress. Um, interestingly, the words that regulate physical and emotional stress almost all have to do with friendship and positive connection with other human beings. And then putting those words into sentences um, created even greater levels of comfort. So, for example, like take the word here, H-E-R-E, here, and then you go, I am here. And then you go, I am here for you. Or love, and then you go, love you. And then you go, I love you. And then you go, I love you with all of my heart. I am here for you. Right? That those words being put into sentences have the power and the ability to release like stress, uh, or, I'm sorry, to release, um, to regulate physical and emotional stress is incredible. In fact, studies show the top three phrases that we want to hear out of some 200,000 words, boil down to nine words, the top phrase is, I love you, I forgive you, and then funny enough, time for dinner is the third one. This one might actually be first for some, but. All of them, though, love, forgiveness, food, meals, involve relationships or, or friendship or connection with other human beings. 
The Bible agrees. Even if you just do a high-level survey of the scriptures from Exodus as Bridget read for us, as Moses is leading the Israelites desperate for connection to God and then God saying things to them like, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. In other words, I am here for you. Or the writer of Proverbs saying things like, oil and perfume make the heart glad. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Or Jesus himself saying things like, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Or Paul in his epistles referring to his mentee Timothy as my son whom I love. Just a short list of how central the expression of human connectivity is to the heart of God, to the story of God, and the irreplaceable role that it plays in human history. And so let me just tell you where we're going for our time this morning, and then uh, we're going to kind of work towards that. My goal is singular, and here's my goal for all of us. It is to convince us that the friendship of Christ is the only perfect friendship you will ever know, and that it has the potential to carry the weight of all of your expectations. That's the, that's the bullseye that we're going to be going after here. And when we get there, you're going to see just how perfect it is and why it's so perfect. In fact, uh, author Dane Ortland, uh, in his book, Gentle and Lowly, he writes, Here is the promise of the gospel and the message of the whole Bible. In Jesus Christ, we are given a friend who will always enjoy rather than refuse our presence. But let's work out how we sort of get to that via looking at the relationships that we have and the friendships that we have. And to begin, we're going to sort of, um, we're going to use the illustration of just kind of a, a big circle. And I have horrible handwriting, but I'm going to do my best. Um, is committed two M's, two T's? Okay. Sorry, we're not starting with committed. What am I talking about? I was so concerned about spelling that wrong. Is crowd, C-R-O-W-D? Yes. Um, we're going to begin with, we're going to have five C's we're going to look at, and we're going to work our way down to the bullseye. And we're going to begin with crowd. Um, you can experience and you can find this sort of human connection anywhere at any time. Would you agree? You can go to a grocery store. Um, you can go to the mall after our gathering here, uh, a sporting event. Uh, maybe it's your own kids' sporting event. Last week, I was with Noah in Columbia for her swim meet at the Mizzou Natatorium, surrounded by a crowd of people. All of them were there for the same reason and purpose, but largely disconnected from each other. Um, what I find fascinating, though, about this human connection is that while relationally disconnected, uh, we were all there, at least for this swim meet, we were all there for, at the same time, for kind of the same reason or purpose. 
We were observing the same event. We all have hopes and expectations. We're all cheering with one another, but intimately we are far from each other. Jesus, on the other hand, had the ability to feel compassion and deep connection even in the midst of crowds. Where we may feel more annoyance or anxiety, Jesus felt compassion. Mark records one of the many instances where Jesus engages crowds. Let me read it for us. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went to shore, he saw a great crowd, and it says he had compassion on them, even though he was trying to get away to a desolate place, to an isolated place, to be by himself. They got there ahead of him, and when he saw them, he was not filled with annoyance or frustration or anxiety. He was simply filled with compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And so Jesus is able to feel compassion for the crowd as he observed all of them needing a leader, needing a shepherd, needing a savior, needing a true and better friend. On our flight to Florida last Sunday, um, I was in the midst of a great crowd on a full flight. And not until I began speaking with the widows group next to me who were heading uh, to Florida to get onto a cruise, um, did that crowd become something different for me? In fact, um, this is pretty beautiful. There were three women who um, just loved that I just asked them where they were going, and we were off to the races in conversation. And um, one of them them gave me this, um, this coin that says, half of my heart is in heaven with my angel. But you're supposed to give it to somebody that you want to give the other half of your heart to. Um, and she gave it to me. So, no, I'm kidding. She, she did know that I was married, but she did give me one because she just thought it was really cool that I was asking about this and I was intrigued by it. And so I was able to receive this coin just simply as a result of moving from crowd to what you could call casual. Um, and so let's make another circle here. We'll put casual. Um, this is where the friendship sort of begins to take shape. It's, it's the first level of, of, um, of connection that, that actually involves conversation oftentimes. So some ideas, some categories here, like a neighbor, a friendly neighbor. So maybe not all neighbors. A friendly neighbor. A coworker who you see on the elevator. Another parent on the kids' swim team. Another mom who is with her kids at the pool while you're there watching practice as well. School events um, for kids in the room. Maybe like a lot of your classmates at school or just kids in your school that you sort of know of. Or maybe you just casually say hello to as well. You likely know their name or you've heard of each other. Would sort of fall into this category. Jesus, again, was a master 
at moving from crowd to casual and making that casual connection wonderfully meaningful. A great example of this is Zacchaeus. As Jesus is moving from village to village, he comes through Jericho, and Luke records the story saying, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. Okay, there's a crowd, and he sees Zacchaeus, and he calls for him to come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. And, and they were saying things like, he has, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he, is all, I'm sorry, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So, how incredible. The intentionality in the heart of Christ, not only towards a man he didn't know, but a, a man of terrible reputation. He moves from just this man being in the crowd into having some sort of a casual connection relationship with. Jesus wasn't so much interested in those who had high moral standing or religious pedigree. He made room for the marginalized. Certainly the sufferers, as so much of his ministry was spent healing the sick, but also for sinners like Zacchaeus, those who were in the social and political swamp. Consider how easy it is for you and for me to pass judgment on, to gossip about, and to slander the casual relationships that we have. And once again, Jesus instead masterfully and perfectly models a heart for Zacchaeus in this moment, risking his own reputation. The next relational C that we sort of get into here is finally committed. Committed. So we go from crowd to casual to committed. These connections are the ones that have become meaningful to you. I would place my entire church family into this category or even like a small group. Uh, your neighborhood crew that gets together for barbecues and for birthdays. The people you grab lunch with at work on a regular basis. These are easy and friendly relationships that, it, that you have established and that have established and that have established trust and that care for one another. I would put nine of Jesus' disciples into this category. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas. I would even put Mary Magdalene and Martha and Lazarus into this category as well, though maybe they could be in the next category also. That's fine, wherever you want to put them. These are friendships that come with expectations. Assumptions that, um, that, that they know and remember things about you and your life and vice versa. You certainly get Christmas cards from this crew. Your mantle is full of their faces. You text on birthdays. 
Funny, actually, just this week, uh, randomly on Thursday, I had this thought <clears throat> that, like, not being on Facebook is brutal for birthday remembering. Um, I used to text everybody, hey, happy birthday, hope it's a great one, praying God's blessing over your life in the coming year, and now nothing. And I'm just like, whose birthday is today that they're just waiting for my text? I mean, nobody's, but I used to text a lot on birthdays, but I don't anymore, and I wish I did. Um, but that's, that's what happens in these committed relationships. There are expectations. Do you remember things? Do you circle back when, um, when a story is shared with you about what's going on in their life? Do you pray for and with each other? The next circle is this. Uh, it's your core. It's your core. Um, this group will be smaller, very small, intimate, uh, Lucy, I would consider Lucy our Lucy kind of our little friendship queen, lots of friends, and she's just very social, and she has actually, she has her, her best friend, right now at least, um, her best friend is Effie, and Effie and her um, are very similar human beings, and they're adorable together, I actually call her, uh, her BF Effie, um, and they, they're so tight that like, they, uh, if Effie has a birthday party, Effie just had a birthday party this past year, and she put out word to all the girls coming to the party, um, just a small group of girls, that they were supposed to go to Amazon on this one particular link and get golden pajamas. Um, and then they were going to show up and wear their pajamas together. We didn't realize that Effie had not talked to her mom about this. And so sure enough, all these girls, when they get to the party, put on these golden pajamas. And, um, and the mom texted a picture and said, I had no idea that uh, Effie made all of you parents buy golden pajamas for your daughters. Um, but that, that's like your core are people that you coordinate pajamas with. That's your core. That, that's the point of that story. Um, which maybe some of you have like a Christmas Eve tradition where you do the same thing with your family, right? Um, one evening after Jesus washed his disciples' feet, they were reclining at the table. And it references a special disciple uh, whom Jesus especially loved, um, likely John and so we know that of his um, disciples, there were some that he had unique investment with and connection to and intimacy with Peter, James, and John. The three of them had, he had a unique and special bond with. Um, but where I want to take us to, to, to John 15, um, Jesus was teaching his disciples and he paints this picture for them of sacrificial friendship. And he says this, in John 15, verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I have commanded you to do. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Notice the word all here. Everything. All of it. He doesn't hold back here. He lets them in on all of himself. There's an intimacy here. The word intimacy actually means into me see. Intimacy. Into me see. Jesus is saying into me you can see. All of it. All that I have heard from my father, I pass on to you. Dane Ortland <clears throat> tells of a story 
Where's a man who falls into a deep pit in the woods? He immediately works to get himself out, grabbing for any handhold or foothold he can possibly find. He looks for anything to hoist himself out, a root, a rock to stand on. He's screaming for help, but nothing. Hours go by. He's thirsty and exhausted. He finally sits down in the dirt just simply out of sheer exhaustion. After some time, he hears someone up top and begins to imagine the person lowering a ladder down into the pit, but instead, all he sees is a set of legs lumber over the edge, dropping himself into the pit. The man who had been stuck realizes it's actually one of his friends and says, what in the world are you doing? Now we are both stuck. The friend looks at him, his own confusion The friend's own confusion at that point begins to set in, and it says, good question, I just didn't want you to be alone. Those are the core friends. The ones like Job had that once Job lost everything before they offered any counsel, any advice, any words, they just sat shiva with him for seven days and seven nights as they saw how much pain he was in. Just sat with him. One of my several core friends today is only my core friend because 16 years ago, he verbalized to me the need for closeness and his hope that we could achieve a more committed bond. Richard Gabir, professor of history at Virginia Commonwealth University, has shown through review of written correspondences that male friendship especially has been diluted in the present time when compared with the richness of healthy, non-erotic affection between men in colonial America. For married couples, your core is firstly your spouse, your kids are in that core and should, ne- and should forever have a place at your core table of unconditional love, hospitality, and sacrifice for the good of each other. That's your core. So you probably could kind of think through in your own life all of these different relationships, could you not? And friendships. But even with the core, even with the core, there's something missing. There's a lot missing, actually, isn't there? Um, There's still disappointment and rejection and at times betrayal. Even with the core, there are those things. And even if those those words like rejection and betrayal and um, inconsistency, even if those are infrequent, which hopefully they are with your core, it's unfair to lay the weight of your expectations onto them entirely because they can't hold up. Though we have expectations of every single relational category to meet a need, all of them are unique and different needs, but they're all needs. So for example, like at a, for, for the crowd, if the crowd at Bush Stadium sat silently while you cheered, you would be let down, would you not? So there's, an even, there's even an expectation of a crowd that you have. If the casual friendship didn't respond to your invitation for coffee, you would be let down. If the committed ones stopped coming to church or bailed on your small group, 
if the core stopped letting you into their mind and heart or rejected you when you let them into yours? Which tells us something. It tells us that what we need more than any of that is the ideal friend. And that's Christ. He's the bullseye. That's Christ. Um, author Jared Wilson, who I really appreciate, he wrote, too many professing Christians suffer from shallow, stale religiosity or a heartless, unaffectionate the- the- theologizing because they haven't made it a priority to know the felt presence of Christ. To make it a priority to meet with and to know this ideal friend. Notice in your reading of the Bible that John chapter 15, um, where again, before his death and resurrection, Jesus says, I no longer call you orphans, but friends. I want you to notice the placement of that. Um, It takes place after the foretelling of Judas' betrayal, Um, It takes place after the foretelling of Peter's denial. He he even knew in this moment when he called them friends that in his worst moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he grieved so much that he would sweat blood, that they would fall asleep on him. He knew all of that. So what kind of friend truly knows unconditional love and acceptance, but then actually has the power to take the full punishment for your betrayal upon himself. Like he knows our sins past, he knows our sins present and future and still stands ready to receive us. What friend can do that? He is the one who cleaves even when it is hard, even when it hurts. And if we're to be honest, we mostly mostly have a longing for this type of friendship, don't we? Because we don't have all the friends our hearts need, and we know this, we feel this. As Tim Keller says, the profile of a friend is crushing. They can't bear the weight of all of our expectations and hopes, and yes, even all your failures. Our friends fail us and we fail them. And so where we really mess up and where I think we're convinced to sort of go as we move through life is to sort of do friendship this way, to isolate, to distance ourselves, where in reality the picture that we're given in the scriptures must be this way. Because if this relationship here isn't rich, and we're not dependent on this first, all of these will be lacking. The reason we don't have great friends is because we are not great friends. It's hard to be a great friend. The phrase, a friend always lets you in and never lets you down, that's crushing. That's terrifying. There's a lot of pressure there. Never lets you down? Unconditional friendship is 
hard, dare I say impossible, where then do we get this power? And the answer again is in John 15 with the conception of friendship. Tonight, I call you friends. When Jesus said that, the whole history of the world could now be understood in the terms of friendship. It all consummates and finds its home in friendship with him, our perfect friend. When you betray a friend, the friend turns on you. Christ does not. He says, I am the ultimate friend, born for adversity. I am the ultimate friend whose wounds are the wounds of love, unconditional love. In fact, he lost his friendship with God so that we could have friendship with God. He lets you in, and yes, he never lets you down. It's what Puritan Richard Sibbs wrote, all the kinds and degrees of friendship meet in Christ. All the kinds and degrees of friendship meet in Christ. And the best part of his friendship, it won't run out or run dry. It's a forever friendship. A perfect friendship that will go on and on and on forever into eternity. And that somehow, some way, that friendship makes it possible for all the saints to experience one day unity and close, closeness with one another forever and ever in his kingdom as well. And so, church, my hope and prayer is that as we consider Christ in this series, in the heart of Christ, that we would maybe even more than anything else Consider his friendship for us and to us, his desire, his longing, and that he's made it possible and available, and that we would just respond and take advantage of that, and that he would be our go-to, that he would be our go-to. What a friend we have in Christ. I really mean that. I've expressed this before, but in recent years, and I don't know what the factors are, but for myself, personally, I've just found that my relationship with Jesus is, is becoming every day, one degree to the next, truly the most important friendship and relationship in my life. And I hope that is true and is becoming true for you each and every day. Let me pray for us. Lord, we confess that we far too often place too much pressure and emphasis an expectation on the people around us. What we need most is your felt presence and experienced friendship. You are the perfect friend our hearts long for. We thank you for welcoming us always and rejecting us never. What a beautiful friendship we can have in you. May, may that be true of us this week. We pray in your name alone. Amen, amen, and amen. amen.